are listening to Keep the Main Thing, the Main Thing podcast. To learn more, visit thepineschurch.com. Welcome everyone to the Pines Church online experience. My name is Matt Joy. I am the lead pastor here and I am so excited that you carved out 30 minutes and change to study the Word of God alongside us. For those of you that may be joining for the very first time, first of all, welcome. Second of all, we are in the middle of a series titled, Who Are the People in Your Neighborhood? We kicked off this series last week by talking about motherhood. And this week, we're going to be diving into servanthood. We will tackle over the coming weeks, brotherhood, sisterhood, ending in fatherhood on Father's Day. So who are the people in your hood? But today, we're going to be talking about a subject that I'm very, very passionate about and is something that uh, I think we all kind of struggle with if we're honest with ourselves. Even saying the word almost sounds demeaning, but that is serving or being a servant, even servanthood. It feels a bit archaic bringing it into the 21st century, but if you open your Bible, you will struggle to find, and you know, it's all throughout scripture. And so I wanna start with this quote, and uh, we'll use this as a springboard into uh, the message, but the quote goes, everyone wants to serve until they get treated like a servant. Interestingly enough, as I scoured the internet, I could not find an author for that quote. I find that very um, interesting. But Jesus declared in Matthew 20, verse 28, that the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom to many. So WWJD, what would Jesus do? He gave his life for many. He he gave his life to serve. In this statement, Jesus literally turned the paradigm of greatness completely upside down. It's what many scholars and theologians uh, refer to as the great reversal. Uh, We live in a world where our children are taught Darwin's theory of evolution, survival of the fittest, And as adults, we consume literature that lays out a path to, you know, how we can hustle and how we can grind our way uh, to the top and get above our peers. But, and it was no different in Jesus's day, actually. This isn't some new ideology because Jesus said the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their great men exercise authority over them. But you see, Jesus came to show a better way by turning that, by flipping that paradigm upside down. As I was beginning to study for this um, sermon, I I began to just notice, you know, sometimes you read at the, uh, the beginning of a chapter in the Bible and you almost feel like it's, this isn't really relevant. It. I'm just being 100% honest with you. When you read through the genealogy, are you tempted, be honest, we're in church, right, to just go ahead and skip past that this person beget this person who beget this person who beget this person. And it feels like there's sometimes in some of the letters in the New Testament, there's an introduction and you, you want to get past like, yeah, 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 let's just get to the meat of it. I know that I've struggled in that area, so I'm just being 100% honest honest. But as I was researching and reading some of these scriptures, something jumped out at me that I hadn't 
previously seen before. There are many instances as Peter, Paul are beginning to write these letters, they introduce themselves like this, Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle. And I just want to stop right there. So that was out of 2 Peter 1.1, Romans 1.1, obviously it's at the beginning of the letter, that both Peter and Paul, like Jesus, viewed themselves as a servant first and foremost before they got to their title of apostle, prophet, evangelist, teacher, preacher. So honestly, I should have introduced myself rather than the lead pastor, the lead servant a servant of Jesus Christ. And I think this is something that the church struggles with because we live in a society that likes their titles, right? They like their status. But first and foremost, we are a servant. And I believe once we adopt that mindset in that heart posture, it helps us be a better pastor. It helps us be a better apostle. It helps us be a better prophet, doctor, lawyer, artist, teacher, if we understand that first and foremost, we have been called to be servants. I like to say it like many people have said this, but um, if serving is beneath you, then leadership is beyond you because all great leaders at the core must serve the people that are entrusted to them or they're not a leader but a dictator. Luke twenty-two twenty-six says this, but not so with you, rather let the greatest among you become as the youngest and the leader as one who serves. So Jesus is defining leadership as one who serves. For who is the greater one who reclines at the table or one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at the table? But I am among you as one who serves. So he's addressing the time of the day. So typically when you see somebody reclining at the table, they're the leader, they're the important one. But here I am, the son of God, who is living amongst you, and what heart posture have I taken? Not to recline at the table, but rather to serve those that are around me. The great reversal the paradigm shift that Jesus was bringing into the world. Now, I want to make one thing clear as we dive into this subject of servanthood, that Jesus has called us all to a life of serving, but that doesn't mean that we're not equally to aspire to greatness. It doesn't mean that we hang up trying to develop and grow in our giftings because we're taking on the lowly, you know, uh, mindset of a servant. Jesus didn't say that whoever among you wants to be great must carry a low opinion or view of themselves, um, second-guessing themselves or suppressing the desire to grow, to learn, to dream. That is not what Jesus is saying here. Some in the church, however, though, believe that we are to have a, a low view of ourselves, to view ourselves as the scum of the earth, groveling and barely getting by, and that aspirations are a product um, of the fallen nature. Although aspirations not birthed from God can lead us astray, God has given us authority in this life. The Bible says that we are bone of his bone, flesh of his flesh, that we were made in his 
image and we are to have his eyes to see this world and his ears to, to hear and perceive it. And so he has planted dreams on the inside of each and every single one of us. They've been hardwired in us. So it's our responsibility to help excavate that greatness, that purpose, the, the zenith of what the gifting he put inside of us to accomplish here on this earth. Jesus didn't ask us to have a servant's mind, but a servant's heart and putting the needs of others ahead of our own. Did you hear what I just said? Okay, so we are to have a servant's heart, but not to look at ourselves as lowly. See, serving isn't something that we do um, to climb the ladder of success in rank in authority. It's not a stepping stone to something that is better. It is the better. And that's why Jesus took on that mantle of a servant. This is why... Um, we struggle with this concept because we think once we've arrived, we'll have people that serve us. But Jesus says it's better to give than to receive. I'm walking in what you were created to do to esteem others higher than yourself. And losing your life is where you will find it. So we don't serve to be recognized. We don't serve so we'll be promoted. In fact, Billy Graham said this, that we're never more like Satan than we want credit for what we've done. Man, talk about a arrow straight to the heart. We are never more like Satan than when we want the credit for what we have done. And Jesus put that all away, taking on the heart of a servant, breaking and shattering that mindset. Philippians 2, 6 through 7 says this, though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking on the form of a servant. Jesus is our example. Jesus with the disciples, Jesus with the leper, Jesus with the woman with the issue of blood, Jesus with the prostitutes, the mafia, the sinners of the day. Those are the steps that we are to follow in. You know, let me kind of take a little bit of a detour here, but I'm going to bring you back full circle. What would you do? Or have you ever asked this question amongst your friends? What would you do if you knew that you only had 24 hours to live? So if somebody came up to you and said, hey, man, you got 24 hours to live, what would you do? You'd probably, you know, maybe you'd go visit someone. If, if, if money wasn't an object, you'd get on a jet and go fly to a place of the world that you've always wanted to visit. Or maybe you would uh, go eat all those foods that you've always wanted to do, skydive, bungee jump. I don't know what it is, but I mean, like, that'll get the creative juices flowing and you automatically think of the bucket list. Okay, what would I do? And Every single time that you open up this, this, this question, it'll always be focused around you. Like what, you know, suck the marrow out of life. What can I do in these 24 hours that's going to benefit me? Well, Jesus knew when he was going to die. He knew when he was 24 hours away from losing his life. 
And rather than think about himself in that moment, he thought about other, others. And at the Last Supper, Jesus um, turned that paradigm upside down of leadership by wrapping a towel around his waist and pouring water into a large bowl, getting down on his hands and knees and scrubbing his disciples' feet, which was a role that was assigned to the lowest servant in the house. And here's Jesus, the Son of God, hours away from giving up his life. And he chooses to spend his final time on earth by taking the heart posture of a servant. You know, I, I just want to take a second and camp out here because we all have this idea. We don't wash each other's feet. And I'm actually pretty grateful for that because I'm not a feet person. And I'm always freaked out. I actually have a really hard time. I, I know this is normal. I know this is normal, but I'm just letting you into the psyche of, of Matt Joy a little bit. Like, I, I just don't like seeing like jeans and uh, sandals. It freaks me out. Like the only time you should wear sandals is when you're at the beach. I'm weird. I'm from the Northeast. I don't know. I don't like feet, okay? But we don't wash each other's feet. And we live in a society where we take a shower every single day. At least I hope so. We wear socks on top of our clean feet, okay? We wear shoes on top of our socks. We walk on clean streets, and we walk on clean floors. Animals have been far removed, you know, from us in some, in some, I don't even know, some farm far away. But that wasn't what it was like in Jesus's day. In fact, even if you've been to a wedding and they have like the ceremonial foot washing and the groom gets down in his tux and washes his wife's feet, her feet are clean. I mean, it's just it's just ceremonial. And there's nothing wrong with that. If you have a wedding plan and you're going to do that, that's great. It's symbolic, though. Jesus was actually cleaning his disciples' feet. And that's the distinction that I'm trying to make here and maybe give you a little bit of a nudge to push into what was actually taking place. Sometimes we make the mistake of listening to these stories and thinking they're almost like fairy tales, but this was a real time and Jesus was going to give up his life and he was down on his hands and knees. Back then, they had dirt streets and they didn't have shoes. So you had sandals and the dust and dirt would get on your feet just as you walk to the market, to the synagogue, to home. Not only that, but the animals traveled that same road. And so there would be animal excrement. There would be pig excrement. There would be chicken excrement. I could go through all, okay? And that would get picked up on your feet because, again, no socks, dirty, dusty roads. So when you came in, there was a lot of stuff on your feet, and it probably stunk. So imagine here is the Son of God sinless, on his hands and knees, with a towel around his waist, with a basin of water, with the stench of his disciples' feet, and just some people's feet stink. Peter was a fisherman. You know what I'm saying? So like maybe his like bodily hygiene wasn't like at the same level as Luke the doctor, okay? I'm not trying to bag on him. I'm just saying, dude, this is real, 
okay? And maybe Matthew's feet were typically kind of clean and Peter's feet were busted. But he was down there with the stench of their feet and everything they walk through in life, cleaning them up. And you know that water, that basin, it must have only gotten so far because there were 12 disciples. This also wasn't something that when we go to a wedding and we see the ceremonial foot washing, it lasts for 60 seconds. This had to have taken time. He had to have scrubbed their feet, possibly even taking that water and, and replenishing it with new water because he got through six of them and there's no way he could do the next six with dirty water. So this took time. And then at the end, as the disciples are watching this and the disciples are, are, are seeing Jesus take this, this heart posture, he says to them in John 13, 12 through 17, do you understand what I've done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right. That is what I am. I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet. So you should wash one another's feet. I have given you an example, and you should do as I have done for you. What I'm about to tell you is true, that a servant is not more important than his master, and a messenger is not more important than the one who sends him. Now you know these things, so you will be blessed if you do them. The man who restored sight to the blind, who spoke to the storm, was on his knees scrubbing animal excrement and dirt off of his disciples' feet. The job that was reserved for the lowest servant in the house. And now while we're on the subject, it's, pro it's good to also ask this question. We've all served in leadership roles. We've all served and had bosses. And typically there's a proclivity. If you see your boss doing something that they're not supposed to do or that is reserved for maybe somebody the lowest servant on the totem pole, um, that you step in and do it for them. So the question needs to be asked, like, why didn't any of the disciples volunteer to do this? Have you ever thought about that? Like, no, 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 let me, let me, let me do this. And I think the answer is simple. Um, it's because the task was reserved for the lowest servant. The disciples were constantly arguing over who's going to be the greatest and often missed the opportunity to serve in the midst of the miracles of Jesus' ministry. Simply put, the disciples were insecure of their place in the kingdom, and as a result, they were preoccupied with jockeying for advancement and promotion and often missing out on the needs that were right in front of them. You see, when we have a heart posture to serve, all that noise and all those lies that the world tries to smuggle in to our lives about hustling and grinding and status and getting stuff, they melt away. And when you lose your life, you find it because you see life through the lens of Christ. And all of a sudden, when your eyes are off of yourself, you begin to see the needs that are all around you. You begin to see the opportunities that you have to point people to Jesus. 
See, a slave is one who has to serve. And a servant is one who lives to serve. Our lives were given to us so that we can serve those around us, ultimately serving Christ. So I just want to give you a few, I'm just going to kind of end, end with um, this. Hold on, I got my notes all mixed up. I, I sincerely apologize that. Our king redefined greatness by focusing on how many people he could serve rather than how many people could serve him. Your life, your calling is far beyond yourself. It is found in the meeting, the needs of others and pointing them to Jesus. If we were to take the words of Jesus to heart, that it is truly better to give than to receive, then serving will always take priority over being served. Dr. Martin Luther King said, life's most persistent and urgent question is what are you doing for others? We can never truly serve until we see humanity through the eyes of Christ. And when we serve, we must do so with the strength that God provides. In other words, this isn't something that you can pull yourself up by the bootstraps and perform in your own strength because ultimately, You'll, your heart and intention, because of your intentions of wanting to be seen or doing it in your own strength, you'll begin to get jaded and you'll quickly become deceived because it'll become a works mentality. And that's not what God is talking about here. First Peter 4.11 says this, that if anyone serves, now we've already determined that every single one of us should serve. But here's Peter saying, if anyone serves, so we need to pay attention because God's called us to serve. He's about to give us something that's really important when we serve. They should do so with the strength that God provides so that in all things, God may be praised through Jesus Christ. If we cultivate the discipline of surrendering our surrendering our time and cultivating a willingness to be interrupted, a willingness to lay our lives down, a willingness to lose our lives. And when we decrease, he will increase, giving us his eyes, and we'll be able to discover the beauty of esteeming others higher than ourselves. And I'm just going to kind of end with this, just a few takeaways that you can go and research and study on your own, because it's very, very important that you're taking these truths that I'm sharing with you and you're studying and searching them out for yourself. Nobody would be able to live on a diet of one meal a week. So I hope that you are studying scripture for yourself. Nevertheless, I'm going to leave you with these uh, six, seven points, okay? Number one, serving allows us to discover and develop our spiritual gifts. It's in laying down our life that we have to rely on the gifts that God has given us. I have come across so many people that say, I have no idea what my gifts are. Well, I can tell you, lay your life down and serve, and your gifts will rise to the surface. Number two, serving allows us to experience miracles. 
I just shared with you that many of the disciples missed out on the miracles because they didn't have a heart posture of serving. They were jockeying for a position of being great in the kingdom. And I always go back to Jesus' first miracle, that when he turned that water into wine and everybody was celebrating and having a good time, not everybody knew it was a miracle. In fact, the only people that knew it was a miracle were Mary, Jesus, and the servants, because they were the ones that had to go get the water for Jesus to turn into wine. Number three, serving helps us become more like Jesus because Jesus came into this world not to be served, but to serve. So we're taking on his very nature. Number four, serving surrounds us with other Christians who can help us follow Jesus. Iron sharpening iron. Okay, show me your friends, I'll show you your future. So we should be around other people that when we begin to get jaded or we begin to maybe kind of shrink back into some of our old thought patterns and old behaviors, the person to the left or the person to our right can help identify some of those blind spots and keep us on track. Number five, serving increases our faith because we have to trust and rely on the strength that comes from God and not from ourselves. I'll tell you from firsthand experience, if you try to serve out of your own strength, you will run on empty. And that's why Paul warns us, do not grow weary in well-doing. One of the one of the first ways that you will grow weary in well-doing is trying to operate in your own strength and in your own ability. When the Bible says to humble ourselves, which is to take on the posture of a servant, and God will give you grace. But he resists the proud. Proud is trying to do it in your own strength. And last, serving allows us to experience God's presence in new ways. When we serve and take on the heart posture of Jesus, the Holy Spirit is in that moment. And in his presence is fullness of joy. That's why we can stand on the promise of God's word in Proverbs 11.25 that a generous person will prosper. A giving person will prosper. A person that pours out will prosper because whoever refreshes others will themselves be refreshed. It doesn't make sense according to man's natural law. If I give, then I'm subtracting. But the Bible says, as we give, we are added unto. When we refresh others, and in turn, God will refresh us. I'm going to pray for you. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for everybody that's listening to this, that's watching this. I pray that the Holy Spirit would illuminate exactly what they need to hear and study and search out for themselves. I pray that they would be able to take the heart posture of a servant and be able to see this world the way that you see it. And God, I ask that you would receive all the glory and all the honor. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for diving into God's word with us. Until next time, Godspeed. Thank you so much for listening to Keep the Main Thing, the Main Thing, a sermon resource provided by the Pines Church in Bangor, Maine. We'd love to hear from you, so leave us a review on this podcast. If you have any questions, visit thepineschurch.com. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.